Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to give a shout out to any first time listeners who are joining us just now. We're happy to have you aboard. Those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I'm your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. If you want to find us on social media, you can find our podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from Reading, Pennsylvania is Micah Storms. Micah, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about um, some of the, the small market teams around the league. That, that, that excites me. Um, I'm a huge fan of not just the Red Sox, but uh, just Major League Baseball in general. So, um, yeah, excited to talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah, we got a lot to get to get into as it pertains to that. Also joining us tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how are you doing? Not too shabby. Um, looking forward to We're going to discuss some uh, Nesson-related stuff as well. So uh, definitely got some takes on that. And uh Game one of the Chicago series will be in the books by the time this one drops. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Yes. Yeah. The Red Sox are in Chicago this weekend, taking on the White Sox after a series split with the Minnesota Twins. But we're going to change things up a little bit. We're going to talk a little outside the box. And we're going to lead off with that very Nesson broadcast booth. Uh, for those of you who watched the Minnesota Twins series, Uh, You may have noticed that Wednesday night's game had a little bit of a different tone to it. Uh, Nesson and the Red Sox decide to invite Bill Burr, Boston-based comedian, into the booth, not for one inning, not even for two innings, for the entire game. He was there. Uh, Red Sox unfortunately lost that game, but uh, Bill Burr was there the entire time with Dave O'Brien, with Kevin Euclid. Um being his normal self, uh, making off-cuff jokes here and there, uh, even later in the game, you know, yelling outside the booth and and taunting Minnesota Twins fans. Um, Very different approach from Nesson, who's usually a very buttoned-up, you know, tight-lipped kind of operation organization over there, but um, definitely a different flavor from them. So, Terry, what were your thoughts? How did you feel about having Bill Burr for an entire baseball game. For starters, I'm a big stand-up comedy guy. I've seen a lot of Bill Burr. Um, I wouldn't put him in my top five necessarily, but he is kind of funny. I I enjoy his interviews more on the late-night shows, like when he's on with Conan and um, Kimmel and all them. But um, I didn't enjoy him in the booth that much. I mean, he was asking a lot of routine baseball questions, I guess. And Euclid was like explaining it to him. Like he was a seven year old and it just kind of by the fifth inning kind of wore on me a little bit, but the most hilarious part was in the first inning when uh, Justin Turner steals that base and either was it Middlebrooks? No, who was in the booth? Euclid. Uh, right, Euclid. Uh, or O'Brien said, um, said, hey, Turner steals a base. Not bad for a 38-year-old. And 
Bill Burr goes, that guy's 38 years old. He goes, how long do we have him locked up for? And they said two years. But I'm like, first inning, Bill, and you have no idea who Justin Turner is. And you live in L.A. right now where Justin Turner has spent the bulk of his career. Doesn't know who Justin Turner is. So it was just, I'm, I'm a baseball guy. I, I love baseball probably more than I love stand-up comedy. But, you know, it's not a large gap between the two. I didn't like them combined. I didn't like it combined uh, with with Bill Burr in there. And here's another thing, too. I, I found it interesting. I'm, I'm going down a slippery slope with this, but, you know, it may as well be me. Um, a big part of Bill Burr's humor is he's kind of an anti-feminist. So you got that, and then you got Pride Month, and it's like, I'm surprised that didn't backfire, especially with the whole, uh, you know, kill your wife thing that they went on and whatever inning that is the eighth inning it was towards the end they were going through his like set list or whatever and that was number five so it was just it was a little weird and i'm, I'm just surprised that uh i'm not saying there should have been an uproar but i'm just surprised giving the way you know things are trending out there that there wasn't micah what are your thoughts I, too, am a, a Bill Burr fan. Um, I think he's a very funny guy. Um, I enjoy his comedy routines a lot. Um, he even started acting. He was in The Mandalorian, so I'm a Star Wars fan, so I've enjoyed him in that. Um, he appeared in two episodes. So I, I'm a fan of his. But a full baseball game, it was just, for me, it was distracting. I like to watch the game very um, close, and I just felt like I was – taken away from the game because of some of the things that were said. Um, I thought the first two or three innings, he was fine. Um, it, it was funny. But then as Terry said it by like the fifth inning, it was kind of like, we have another four innings of this. And it was just, it felt like it went on for far too long. And by the end of the game, some of the conversations or the comments kind of, it made me uncomfortable. I, they, there was a foul ball um, and they didn't show it on camera but the one guy, I guess he had lunged for the ball and he almost fell over the railing and he, and he said something, don't quote me, but it was something like, um, boy, that would have been terrible, but unless he fell directly into the tunnel and then it would have been out of play, like no one would have seen it and they could have kept playing like something <laughs> of that. Nature. And it was just like, yeah, like they could have done that, but if that would have happened, that would have been an absolute tragedy um, and it just like, by the end of the game, he was screaming at fans and he was saying, I wanted the game to be over so I can go smoke a cigar. Like it was a, it was in the extra innings. It was a tense moment. The Red Sox were trying to win seven in a row. And by the end of the game, I was like, I, I'm just, I'm completely being taken out of the game because of what's going on in the booth. Um, I feel like in previous seasons, he's made appearances in the booth and I think it was for like an inning or two. And I was like, you know what? That was entertaining. It was fine. I feel like one or two innings would have been absolutely okay. It's cool that they have a a comedian who likes the Red Sox that much that would want to do a whole baseball game. Like, that's cool. But I didn't need nine innings of Bill Burr. So um, that's, that's my take on Bill Burr. So quick little fun fact about Bill Burr. He was born in Canton, Massachusetts where I currently reside. So 
Um, like I said, you know, local comedian, um, you know, lifelong Red Sox fan, or at least he professes to be. Um, I liked it. I, I, I enjoy his comedy, so I may be a little biased. I, I liked having him for a whole game. I'm also not big on just Dave O'Brien and Kevin Euclid for a whole game because they put me to sleep sometimes. I'm not a big Euclid guy. I, you know, I know he's starting to grow on some people, but I still think that he has the personality of a shoe. Um, I would much prefer that it's like O'Brien, Euclid and Bill Burr, as opposed to O'Brien, Euclid and Tim Wakefield. Love you, mean it, but oh my God, you want it? You want to be put to bed early? Put that broadcast on. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, the worst booth of all time. That that is again. Love you, mean it, Wake. You were great here for a long time, but his whole commentary is yeah. So we'll be in the monster seats on, for the next game. Oh, those are great. Okay, well, dynamite drop in there, Wakefield. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I I liked the Bill Burr experiment because it was just different and it's never something I would have expected Nesson to do because as I said leading in I feel like Nesson is so buttoned up and so just like no everything's got to be professional and you know just talk about the game don't show your personality um for them to do that was a big risk and they allowed it to happen now that said going forward I would prefer just two innings two innings, three innings, or at the very least, if you're going to do a full game, have it like once a year and maybe do like Bill Burr in there with O'Brien and Merloni. Cause I think that might be a better mix, but I tend to agree with Micah that like, I think it's better when it's just two innings or three or something like that. Um, you know, I always hearken back to the game where Dennis Leary and Lenny Clark were in the booth with Orsillo and Remy. This was years ago. Cause Oddly enough, it was back when Euclid was playing first base. And if you want to see some funny guest commentary, go look up that clip. It's on YouTube. Um, it's it's great. And they were there for one inning, and they'll have you bursting out laughing. And, you know, it was just because it was very – it was a short sample. They were able to just go up there, wreak havoc for an inning, and then they left. So I liked the Bill Burr thing, but I – Going forward, either do it just once a year and have it be, you know, a better mix. Or if you want to bring him back, bring him back for shorter spots because a full game of him, as much as I like him, it was, especially in a close game like that, it was a little bit too much. Yeah, it was a little bit too like, okay, like I don't need you screaming at Twins fans, you know, for multiple innings here. Like, yeah, it was funny at first, but... And, and you could tell he didn't want to be there that long. It was it was a game that went on a little bit longer than he probably would have liked. Um, I think if it were up to him, he wouldn't do a full game again because, you know, who wants to be there for three hours talking to Dave O'Brien? Nobody does. So I don't think he'll do it again. But um, bring him back. Just bring him back for like two, three innings. Do like an Alex Spear thing with him, you know, that kind of thing. I think that'd be much more preferable. Um, but – I still enjoyed that they at least went out on a branch and tried it. Who who do you guys like best with O'Brien? Uh, it sounds like it'll probably be either Merloni or Middlebrooks. But personally, i I like Middlebrooks. Um, I thought I would like Merloni, but I still feel like Merloni has the talk radio thing still instilled in him. 
which it's going to take some time to shed that because he's coming off of being the main guy at WEI for so long. Um, he also just hasn't done that many games, I don't feel like. So I think he's still kind of getting into it. I think Middlebrooks has a good combo of he's a former hitter. I think he was a better hitter than Merloni at times, frankly, if you look at their careers. Um, and he sort of just has that he's able to be conversationalist, but he's not, he doesn't drone on. And he's, you know, he, he points out the sort of the finer points of, of batting and all that, but he keeps it short, keeps it short. He keeps it sweet. And I like that Middlebrooks is a little more engaged with the community on social media and, you know, everywhere else where he kind of just talks to anybody. Whereas I feel like Merloni still has that uh, hot shot from EEI kind of feeling about him. So Merloni might grow on me, but for now I would pick Middlebrooks. I would go Merloni. I, 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 I had many interactions with Merloni on, on Twitter. Um, so I, I enjoy him. I think he has um, really good insight. Um, and then, it's not a, a big gap, but I would say right behind Marloni would be Euclid and Middlebrooks kind of on the same playing field. I feel like they're very similar. Um, but I like all three. I just don't know if all three necessarily mesh with Dave O'Brien. Like, I have no problem with Dave O'Brien. I think he, he's gotten – he's received more negative criticism than I would expect. I think he calls a fine game, um, but – I don't know if those the combos necessarily mesh as well as and and it's hard because I grew up on Arcillo and Remy so that that combo just was electric um, and it just felt like they were in my living room every night um, and I just don't have that same vibe from you know the the closest thing was Eckersley I like Eckersley made me feel like he was kind of in my living room with me. Um, but other than Eck, I, I haven't had that feeling since uh, Remy was in the booth. Well, I'll break the tie. I also like uh, Lou Merloni. Uh, I don't hate Middlebrooks if he were named. If they said tomorrow that he was going to do 130 games next year, I wouldn't hate it. But I just feel like Merloni's going to get a little bit more animated uh, in certain spots. I think he's going to be a little bit more critical at times and, you know, and he's a Massachusetts guy, you know, like he sounds like one of us. So that's really what I like the most about him. The other interesting thing was, was Middlebrooks and Euclid in the booth at the same time or no, I could be mistaken. I, they I don't think so. I think they alternated those two and that it was either, Wakefield with Euclid or just Middlebrooks on his own. It makes more sense to have a, a pitching guy in there if, if there is going to be three, but <laughs> it, it would have been super ironic though, because Middlebrook took Middlebrooks took Uke's job and, you know, essentially forced a trade, you know, Euclid got sent to the White Sox. And um, so just a little, a little weird history there that they're kind of linked, but um but I do enjoy the humility, you know, Euclid has a little bit. Um, I, I don't, he's a distant third to me, but, you know, it's whatever. It's never going to be great with O'Brien in there. I can't stand O'Brien. I think he's extremely dry. I, 
just imagine how funny the the Bill Burr thing would have been with Orsillo, like playing off of him. Because Orsillo in and of himself is funny, you know, with the shenanigans he does behind the scenes. Then it, it could have been brilliant. And but he's in there with O'Brien, who's this major nerd. And I just I hope this is the last year of O'Brien's contract. And they never talk about Nesson's ratings, really. Like, how are they? Are they healthy? Are they trending up? Are they trending down? Like, they never talk about it. And you've got a guy named Mike Monaco, like Micah mentioned. And in spring training, I mean, there were a couple of games with Monaco and Euclid, and it was actually entertaining. It was way more entertaining with Monaco. And I, I think he would connect with the younger audience that Nesson ultimately desires to have. You're never going to make that connection. Nesson is so dumb. I mean, getting rid of Orsillo was the dumbest thing ever. It's just been a pattern of like incompetence. But my final thought on this, um, Kevin Millar was, joining kind of remotely from home in the broadcast. I like him in a three-man booth. I didn't like him one-on-one with O'Brien. But I thought he was very insightful as the third man. So just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I'm with you on Millar. I like him as a third guy because I don't necessarily need hitting analysis from Kevin Millar, but I like the intangible stuff he brings in terms of like what it's like to be part of a clubhouse and what it's like to be a veteran in a clubhouse that's going on a playoff run or whatever. I I thought that he provided a lot of good insight there and he generally still kind of annoys me, but he's been a lot better lately, at least a few times we've seen him. Um, And you're right about Monaco. He's got to be the next guy. And, And I don't know. Dave O'Brien must have an ironclad contract for Nesson to not have already made the move to just fire him, promote Monaco, throw the bag at him and say, you're the next guy. And because you can put him with whoever you put him with Euclid, it works. Put him with Middlebrooks. It works. Like, I I don't know what the O'Brien contract situation is, but hopefully they can find a way to get out of it before someone scoops up Mike Monaco because somebody will. Like he he does a lot. He doesn't just do the minor league games. He he does a lot around college and stuff like that. So someone's gonna scoop him up if Nesson isn't careful. Um, so hopefully they have the the foresight to uh, to make that move. And one last thought on, on the booth, like I Micah, you mentioned that you grew up with Orsillo and Remy. As bad as O'Brien is, I grew up with Bob Kurtz. So I <laughs> can't. He's not worse than. Bob Kurtz. Bob Kurtz was horrific. So I'll give O'Brien that. He's at least better than that guy. But yeah, hopefully they they evolve the booth a little bit soon because O'Brien, I think, is starting to wear on everybody. Um, so with that, we're going to move outside of the Red Sox commentary booth. We're going to take a look around all of Major League Baseball and kind of who's been on this on the surge this year. And it's really been an emergence of small market teams that are taking over baseball this year, and they're becoming the storyline. It's not just Yankees, Dodgers, Astros anymore. The Cincinnati Reds are in first place. They, you know, at least previous to this, had won 11 in a row. 
just called up their top prospects. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates are a contending team. They're, you know, chasing Cincinnati. They're going to be in the wild card picture. Um, you, you look at the Baltimore Orioles here in the AL East. You know, Adley Rushman, their top prospect has been lighting it up. They haven't even called up their top pitching prospect in Grayson Rodriguez yet. And they've got 45 wins. Um, the Arizona Diamondbacks, our old friend Tori Lovello over there, you know, doing great things. You know, they made some changes in the offseason. They picked up Lourdes Goriel from Toronto. They called up Corbin Carroll, who looks like an absolute stud. The, the story around baseball this year has been, I feel like in the early part, it was the Rays because of the hot start they got off to. But since then, it's been the Reds, Diamondbacks, Pirates, Orioles, these small market teams that, granted, have been pretty bad for a long time. But now they're on the rise and they're making an emergence. And meanwhile, teams like the Yankees, Dodgers, Padres, they're still in it, but they're not the topic around baseball look at the new york mets all the money they spend with their high profile owner they're free falling right now and the miami marlins another young team that you know doesn't have a lot of buzz around it they look better than the mets right now so the story of baseball this year has been different teams you know on the rise in their respective divisions in their respective leagues and some of the more popular more high profile teams not quite contending. You can even throw the Red Sox into that category, quite frankly. They're a high-profile franchise that's in last place in their own division. So I guess the the topic around here is, is that good for baseball? Like, is it good that these smaller market teams are finally competing and they're, you know, at the tops of their division, potentially going to go to the playoffs? Or would baseball prefer it to be a different way? Micah, what do you think? I think it's good for baseball in the fact that you don't have a bunch of teams that are shoe-ins for 100-plus losses. Um, with the schedule change now where you're not playing divisional um, opponents 18, 19 times a year, it's not going to be as bad. But, you know, the Baltimore Orioles, you were guaranteed to win 15, 16 games against that team um, almost every year for a three or four year stretch. That's not good for baseball. Um, the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, you know that that's been an organization that's just been a train wreck, and it's just the the lack of trying to win is not good for the game. So it's good that these teams are starting to to try to win. I mean, I don't know if all of them are necessarily trying to win, but they're at least starting to. Uh, it, the players that they've drafted because they've had high picks, the teams like the Orioles with Rutschman, um, they're, they're starting to hit on some of these prospects and they're making their way into the league, which is good to see. I mean, the Orioles have the fourth most, fourth most wins in baseball. That I don't think anybody would have, even after last year's um, kind of surge in the second half, I don't think anybody would have predicted that. Um, the Reds have won 11 straight games, just wild. I don't, I don't think there's another team in baseball that is easier to jump on the bandwagon than the Cincinnati Reds. They have so many exciting young players. Ellie De La Cruz, I don't know if you've seen him, but that guy is electric. He can run, he runs like a deer. I mean, he, his first hit, I mean, he was on second base before 
it felt like you you blinked your eyes and he was there. He flies. He is super toolsy. Um, so the Reds, I think if you are a team like, if you're a fan of the Mets, my brother texted me this the other day. My brother's a Mets fan. Um, but he texted me. He's like, well, if the season doesn't go, if it doesn't turn quickly, he's like, I'm just going to hop on the Reds bandwagon because they're fun to watch. And um, I can get behind a bunch of young players that are learning the game at the big league level and having some success. So I think a lot of fans will like the Reds. Um, the Pirates, they got off to a really good start. They have unfortunately lost 10 straight games. So I don't know if they're quite there yet, but they're at least showing signs of, of coming back to life. Um, you know, the only thing that I would say is bad for baseball is if these teams get into the playoffs, our fans, our casual baseball fans going to want to watch the Cincinnati Reds or the Pittsburgh Pirates. I mean, I don't think the Pirates are getting there, but you know, are they going to want to watch the Baltimore Orioles? I don't know. Like, the, the, the casual fan will say, oh, yeah, the Dodgers, they've been in it the last couple of years. The Braves, that's a great matchup. I'll sit down and I'll watch those two juggernauts of 100-plus win teams. I feel like casual baseball fans may sit down and watch that, but are they going to watch a series um, versus the, the Diamondbacks and the Reds? I don't know how much that's going to draw, but that's a problem for Major League Baseball because are they not promoting players like Corbin Carroll? I don't know, um, but I, I think it's good for the game that you don't have a bunch of teams that are just 100-plus lost teams at the beginning of the season. That that drives me nuts. Um, I, I hate to see the Reds succeed when they have a terrible owner. Their owner doesn't deserve to have a winning team, but their fan base absolutely does, and I'm happy for their fans that the Reds are um, – they look like they're going to be the team to, to beat in the central for, for years to come. Terry, what are your thoughts? Another crazy thing. I just realized just now, um, aside from the fact the pirates have lost uh, 10 straight, there's six games under 500 at this point. So their uh, nice little run has come to an end, but the surprising thing to me right now, the Los Angeles Dodgers are in third place in their division. And the Padres aren't even one of the teams that's ahead of them. It's Arizona, which, you know, we've all been aware of for a little while. And the San Francisco Giants quietly putting together a, a pretty good season. Nine games above 500, and uh, they're in possession uh, of a wild card spot by a half a game. So that's interesting. Miami, I mean, they've had a good a good pitching staff for quite a while. Like they can develop pitching. Uh they haven't really had the offense and it looks like they fleeced the Minnesota Twins by getting Luisa Rise for only uh Pablo Lopez. Not that Lopez has been terrible for the Twins, but it just looks more and more lopsided. Like, I don't have the National League stats up right now, but how is Luis Arise not the front runner right now to win MVP? So that's just absolutely crazy to me. And then getting over to the Reds, I mean, I kind of have mixed feelings about this because they have a trash ownership that doesn't care really about winning. They are winning in spite of their owners right now. That's what's going on. And they had a worse owner back in the 90s 
Uh, we won't get into it, but if you want to look her up, her name's uh, Margaret Schott, S-C-H-O-T-T. Um, but not a good run of uh, ownership there. And um, over the winter, I, I think, I don't know if it's a family that owns them or um, if it's kind of like a Steve Cohen type thing. But but someone from ownership basically said they don't care about winning. And, you know, it caused a bit of an uproar with the fan base. And they've been perennially, uh, you know, a fourth or fifth place team for quite a while now. So, um, but as good as the Reds have been over the last couple of weeks, 11 straight, Hunter Green just went on the injured list, has a hip injury. Their pitching hasn't been super great over that stretch. It's It's been all offense, and we've seen the Red Sox essentially do that uh, at various points. I think eight in a row is the most we won, and we just had a, a six-game-in-a-row streak come to an end. But we do that mostly on our offense. So uh, that's what the, the Reds are doing. I They've been aggressive in the trade market over the years, so perhaps they might seek upgrades at the deadline. Um, but that's been a division where nobody gets super aggressive in, in the month of July when it comes to trades, you know. Typically, it takes a low 90s, you know, win total to, to win that division. It's usually between the Brewers and the uh, Cardinals. So we'll see if the Reds can... Um, sustain what they've been doing i mean they're not gonna the win streak will obviously come to an end but but there's nothing about any of those nl central teams that scream division winner you know on this late june you know evening so we'll see but i know uh getting back to miami uh kim ang this is probably a make or break year for her uh she may not be back if they miss the playoffs. So uh, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Miami win. Florida is a tough state to have a professional sports franchise because much like Vegas, uh, we said last week, you don't really have, it's a very transient state with its population. You know, everyone comes from the North, but, and I can't remember if we discussed this has been a long night for us, but I can't remember if we talked about this on the actual show, but I raised the question of what if the Baltimore Orioles get a uh, Lucas Giolito type guy or just a top of the rotation guy? They have the prospects to do it if they want to, but man, I just, where's the, <laughs> where's the sky for them? Like where, you know, how good can they get if they, um, you know, if they put one or two stud starting pitchers in that rotation? And lastly, let me just throw this out there. What if the Reds or the Orioles were to win the World Series this year? I mean, nobody saw the Braves coming in early August a couple of years ago, and it happened. And all these big market teams, like, no big market team 
is presently in a division lead right now. Tampa, one of the smallest. Minnesota, probably a mid-market team. Texas, I guess they're a big market team. They haven't always spent money that way, but their payroll right now would suggest it. They've spent a ton of money. So maybe that's the outlier. Atlanta, as successful as they are, they are a mid-market team. They're never a top five, six, or seven payroll. And um, and then, of course, the Diamondbacks. So it's it's almost all small market teams right now leading these divisions. Yeah, and I think for baseball as a whole, it's great. I, I think especially because it's being done with not just small market teams, but young players, you know, Ellie De La Cruz, Adley Rushman, you know, this is how you grow the game is, is you get people tuning into these young superstars with Atlanta. It was Ronald Acuna. People tuned in to watch him. Um, 2019 when the nationals won that put Juan Soto on the map. Juan Soto in the world series hit three home runs throughout the world series and, and helped propel that team to a victory. Now he's, Struggled a little bit in San Diego, but he became a star and he was what 21 22 at the time when you know when he was playing for Washington. So that's good for baseball. You want young guys, you want different guys being the star of the game. You know, for so many years, it was just Jeter and Ortiz, and it was like there were no other really young up and coming stars that took over. Now it feels like there's a new prospect every week. That's being called up by, you know, these teams, whether it's Cincinnati, Baltimore, even Pittsburgh, you know, it sucks that O'Neill Cruz got hurt. I know he played a little bit last year, but he's an exciting player to watch. You know, a shortstop who's what, six foot seven or whatever he is. Like, how can you not want to tune in to watch that? Um, If the World Series were to come down to like Baltimore versus Cincinnati, I know market wise baseball, the sport of baseball might hate that. But, you know, who wouldn't want to tune in to see Hunter Green throwing 103 miles an hour going up against Adley Rushman? Like, true baseball fans will love that. And I even think casual fans will kind of go, oh, wow, so that kid's like a modern-day Pedro. All right, I'll tune into that. Yeah, that, that sounds cool. Neither of them are my team, but I don't care. I think that's so good for baseball. And you guys are right about the Reds. As fun as it has been to watch them and as much as – you know, the Carabases of the baseball world is saying this is the team that you should root for. That owner is a piece of crap. Uh, Phil Castellini is a bad owner. Uh, do not let him off the hook for what he said before the season started, where basically Reds fans asked him, hey, um, the team is not good, and you seemed intent on just trading away every good player we have. Why should we support you? And his answer was, well, where, is, where else are you going to go? And then when they asked him, well, how are you going to make the team more successful? He responded with, well, the best thing to make the team more successful would be to pack up and go somewhere else. So careful what you wish for. So the Reds owner is a real dirtbag. So it's kind of hard to root for them because the more successful they are, the more that he gets proven right. Um, But Arizona, I think, is is worth rooting for, especially with our old friend Lavello there. Um, you know, and hey, who wouldn't love to see them usurp the Dodgers and, and take over that division? I know the Giants are right on their tail now, too, but you know, Giants and Dodgers ran that division for so many years. 
how great would it be to see Arizona just come out of nowhere and say, hey, no, it's ours now. It's it's the Corbin Carroll era. We're going to take over. Um, you know, I think Baltimore has a chance to catch Tampa. If Baltimore, like you said, Terry, gets a Giolito or, you know, makes a trade and they call up a few more guys, you know, Tampa's starting to show some weaknesses. You know, they, they always have health problems midway through the year because they burn out their pitchers. If I'm Tampa, I'd be worried about Baltimore. I could see them, you know, sneaking up on them and taking the division too. So I just think that level of, you know, curiosity in terms of, you know, what can these teams do, especially with the trade deadline coming, I think it's great for baseball. And I think it makes for a really exciting season. Um, Micah, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, the only thing that I don't love to see is – Personally, I don't like to see the tear down, tear it down to the bare bones work. Um, <clears throat> we saw the Washington Nationals be successful with that. When they when they moved, they pretty much tore it down. And then they got Strasburg with the number one pick, and then they got Harper with the number one pick, and then they started to put together a good core. But they were bad for four or five years. We saw the same thing with the Houston Astros. They before when they when they moved to the American League, like they were in the middle of just a, a brutal stretch. And now we're starting to see with all the teams that you've pretty much said, they kind of followed that model to an extent. The Orioles tore it down. Um, the Diamondbacks, when was the last time they've been good? It's been a long stretch of just bad baseball. Um, the Marlins, they've been bad for quite a while. Um, the Reds have pretty much been bad. It, these teams have been bad for a long, long time. And I just hate the idea of, well, we're a small market team. This is the only way to do it. It's not. The, the, the Orioles spending – the Orioles aren't even really considered a small market team. They just act like a small market team. They're really a mid-market team. And I, I just – I don't like to see teams in, in terms of like the ownership get rewarded when they don't want to spend money and they just they take advantage of the the draft system and the luxury tax system when other teams are trying to win like the Dodgers year after year after year and then after a while they just accumulate all of these draft picks and these assets which again is good but you've sucked for 5 years it's kind of like with the Sixers when they they were doing the trust the process and like living in Philadelphia area, it was I was amazed at how many fans bought into it. And it's like no fan should buy into that garbage of sucking for five years so you get good draft pick after good draft pick when really you could just sign some players and try to win. And it just – I don't know. Like the, the Orioles, Terry, you are 100% right. Lucas Giolito should be at the top of their list. They should be going out and trying to get – one or two players, but personally, I'm not sold that their ownership believes they actually are in their window of winning right now, which is ridiculous because they have such a good team and they're only, they really should only get better as guys like Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman and maybe Grayson Rodriguez start to, to gain even more confidence and, and, and get used to the big leagues. These teams now they've, they sucked for so long 
they absolutely should be in and buying now because what was the whole reason of being terrible and losing 100 games year after year if you're not going to try to win when really I look at, a, at a, an entire league that is wide open. It's wide open. I think you could make a case for five, six, seven teams to really get to the World Series and possibly win it. A couple of notes here. Uh, Juan Soto was 20 years old at the start of the 2019 playoffs. He turned 21 in the World Series and I think won the MVP, if I'm not mistaken. He hit 333 with a 370-something on base. Um, One thing about the Orioles here, just to consider, and I've mentioned this before, their front office mostly came from the Astros and built that dynasty. So, and they, they basically used the same model as well. They, they tanked, they got good draft picks and they've built it to what it is, but for what it's worth, the, the Astros have never taken a step back since they've been good. Like they've sustained this run of essentially dominance in terms of, you know, winning the division and then they've won several pennants and a couple of titles as well. So it'll be interesting to see what, uh, you know, how sustainable this, you know, this Orioles front office that comes from Houston will, will sustain themselves, but they're here and they're there. This isn't a fluke. This is where they should be at this point of their rebuild. And, they should be adding they should be adding pieces huge misstep not not adding michael walker they should have done that and he was linked to the orioles they let the astros uh excuse me the padres get him and uh that is what it is and then my final thought um not only is lavello from from boston you know as far as boston ties so is mike hazen the gm of the of the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was essentially Dave Dombrowski's top lieutenant uh, during the 2018 season. And it's kind of sentimental. I mean, if you really know Mike Hazen, because he lost his wife just last year to brain cancer uh, at a very young age. I think she was in her early 40s. So uh, a lot of reasons to uh, be rooting for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I don't know if they really meant to tank. I think they they tried to put their best foot forward, uh, you know, uh, in recent years. I think 2017 was their last real good season where they um, they got into the wild card spot, and I think they did win the wild card game, if I'm not mistaken, and then got bounced out by the Dodgers, who were an absolute juggernaut at that time. Um, but, and they actually, the Dodgers did go to the world series that year against the Astros, but they finally, you know, built some homegrown pitching and they've added some nice pieces as well, uh, to the team. And Corbin Carroll's emergence has been, you know, has had a profound impact. So, I don't mind seeing the small market teams win. I really don't. Um, you know, I, I agree. You know, maybe they should do a lottery system so that the worst team doesn't necessarily get the number one pick. You know, let the bottom 
do it the, the way the NBA does it. You know, let the bottom six or eight teams enter a lottery and settle it that way. That way it kind of discourages it. Another thing they can do to prevent tanking is mandate a, a floor, you know, a salary floor. Like every team has to spend at least a hundred million, let's say, you know, would be another good way to um, solve that. But, but I, I definitely, I think the, the Astros and the Braves have the, the perfect approaches in terms of sustainability and, you know, what was a bad move that the Astros have done? Maybe a Brayu, but I think a lot of teams would have made that mistake. You know, there, there's not really a lot of bad signings the Astros have made, and, and the same can be said for the Braves. I mean, they just get really good value out of uh, a lot of their moves. And I think that's what most organizations should should strive to be, you know. <laughs> Not going great in Queens right now, and uh, I don't hate the Mets, but I'm not I'm not crying for them either. Yeah, certainly not. <laughs> certainly not going to shed any tears for Steve Cohen and the Mets. Um, and yeah, just uh, the one last thing I'll tack on. I agree with you, Terry, about the salary floor. Um, to me, the NHL does this, so the NHL has a hard salary cap. They have a hard salary floor as well. You have to spend a certain amount on players um, by rule. So that would prevent, you know, the Oakland athletics from doing what they're doing right now. That would prevent, um, you know, Detroit, Washington, whatever, from just not spending any money and just absolutely tanking just to get the first overall pick. Um, I think that that's one small step that baseball could make as great as it has been to see small market teams emerge because of, young players who are going to be future stars in this league. I do agree that you have to prevent tanking somehow because now because of what's happening this year, you don't want a team like the Mariners or, you know, a team like whoever else looking at that going, you know, we spent so much money on free agents the last couple, last couple of years. Why don't we just tank for five years and just, you know, get the first overall pick and start over. You don't want that to happen. Um, I certainly want, wouldn't want to happen here in Boston. I wouldn't want to see it anywhere else in the league. Um, so I think a salary floor and a salary, you know, the salary cap staying where it is, I think that would be a good step for baseball. Um, it would still encourage small market teams to compete like they are now, but it would prevent from tanking, which I don't think anybody wants. So um, needless to say, it's been a fun season. We'll see how these teams do as we enter the second half. Trade deadline should be very interesting for a lot of these teams going forward. So we'll see what they do. But um, Terry, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, one last final thought. Um, don't rule out the Phillies. You know, they're getting hot too. Not a small market team, so that kind of breaks the theme. But uh, man... Like when when you talk about the Bluminati, you know this is their playbook. You know, number one, brag about the Red Sox farm system. Number two, call Hunter Renfro a racist, and then number three, bash Dave Dombrowski. <laughs> so I just want I just would love nothing more than you know the Phillies to swoop in there again and not necessarily win the World Series, but annoy the Bluminati. Oh, I have no doubt that 
Davy Davy Big Deals is going to uh, make his presence known at the trade deadline somehow. Yeah, for sure. So that that'll be fun to see as well. So with that, we will wrap up this Bastards Roundtable episode. The next time we'll see you guys will be on Monday morning. The weekend crew will be recapping the White Sox series for you guys. So keep an eye out for that, and we will talk to you all then. Take care.